Welcome to Five Lives to 50, the sustainability podcast for product managers. This is episode five, California's Senate Bill 253 and why product managers need to care about corporate greenhouse gas reporting. I am Shelley Metcalf and I am with my two co-hosts today, Jim Fava and Neil D'Souza, to discuss the relevant differences between corporate and product level reporting, how legislation can shift the focus to supply chains, and what this means for product managers. So in a moment, we're going to look at California's new Climate Corporate Data Accountability Act, which includes Scope 3 greenhouse gas reporting starting in 2027. But first, I want to explore the difference between corporate-level reporting and the environmental reduction, impact reduction and reporting that happens at the product level. A good frame to do this is, you know, the, the what, the who, and the why. And if you look at how you make stuff, how companies take raw materials, create their products and sell it. And there's many standards that go around this in terms of um, you know, what are the different aspects you need to report on, things very well covered by the SDGs, by the Sustainable, sustainable Development Goals. You have standards like the GRI and SASB and so on and so forth that are out there that, that help create the construct and how to report on the operations of a business. To understand, you know, who are the, who's the audience for these kind of reports? It is typically governments where you're reporting into a kind of platform when it's regulated. I think there is investors that look at these reports when you're looking at investor reports or sustainability reports that go into, you know, your investor report. NGOs, particular interest in these kind of reports. And I think also customers indirectly through the brand that you create, right? How you, how you position yourself as a company in terms of being sustainable and working sustainably. <laughs> adds or detracts from your brand it doesn't really address the product itself that you're selling but in the broader sense it tells uh, it tells to the company itself i think the reason why companies do this it's it provides them a platform to operate it creates that brand for them sometimes it is around regulations where if you did not report you would not be able to operate in that particular jurisdiction let's say it's a way to control how businesses operate in a particular jurisdiction when you look at this from the perspective of regulation on the product side of things though it becomes very direct if you look at what a company is it is really about making products and making them better than competition and selling them for a price that customers will buy and in this case a product level declaration from a sustainability perspective, addresses that product and how it can be positioned against competition in a better way. If you're looking at you know who is who is the customer, there isn't any regulation to date that covers product regulations. I think there are some when you're looking at the digital product passport in Europe, you're looking at uh, the recycled content in packaging in several mm-hmm. places in in the US as well. But there's nothing broad that operates on, you know, at the scale that, that you see typically corporate reporting standards and, and regulations. They are very dedicated to customers. They're creating a differentiation against competition so that customers choose your product as opposed to others. And this is what, what we've talked about previously, right? Where there is a growing market for customers who are looking for more sustainable products and therefore Reporting in terms of EPDs or life cycle assessments or eco labels or so on and so forth are a key differentiator there. I think what also from a product manager perspective is important to keep in mind is for the, for the vast part, product managers have never had to worry about corporate level reporting. Right? This is something that sustainability teams, investor relations teams take care of. Whereas when you're looking at product level reporting, typically a product manager needs to care about this because this is, this typically comes out of their, their budgets and uh, their accountability. Jim, do you have anything to add to that? 
I think there's sort of different purposes. You know, the purpose of the corporate reporting is really to look at the overall carbon footprint or broader perspective, you know, to comply with regulations or, you know, the stakeholder demands. There is a lot of sort of interest in the investment community now in some of that. But when you get into the actual individual product, now you're dealing with collecting, you know, early information, in this case, greenhouse gases, on the entire product footprint from raw materials acquisition through use and, and some kind of end-of-life management. So there is an entirely different focus between the two activity in terms of corporate uh, reporting and then also in terms of product activity, which is not really, a, as Neil said, not really tied back to a, a reporting requirement, but it's tied back to expectations by customers and consumers in terms of what are they looking for in terms of a, a product that they buy, either a retailer or a consumer like you and I, based on a reduced carbon footprint. So there are differences. Both are important. Um, and I think so. we start seeing uh, these things evolve, we're going to see them come closer and closer together where the product manager and then the activities of uh, the innovation process and the stage shape process are going to have a great role to play in helping the company at the enterprise level meet their corporate greenhouse gas reduction targets and so forth. So it's going to be an exciting time, but they're still recognized there are two separate things and we need to bring them together where, to me, I feel like the product component of this and the product manager's role is a pivotal one to help the company meet their greenhouse gas reduction targets as, you know, sort of begin to lay out in some of these requirements that we're seeing but also really lay the foundation for improving the overall performance of the company. So that's what I see between the product and the, the enterprise level. I think it also comes together, maybe to add to that, right? So traditionally, corporate reporting has been about the operations. And if you look at GHG, there's a protocol, mm -hmm. the GHG protocol that breaks us down into scope one and two. So scope one is things that, you know, you burn gas on plant in a CHP and to produce electricity and heat. And this is your scope one emission or scope two, which is you're using electricity to make something. So you're buying energy from someone else who has to do that burning of fuel for you. And then there is scope three, which is everything, all the materials that you buy. So the non-energy related stuff, right? So you're buying steel, you're buying copper, you're buying plastics, and then someone else has to do all of the same work as you in order for you to have these materials. And this is where scope three comes in and where product and corporate kind of start meeting is this realm of scope three because mm -hmm. your scope three impacts are primarily determined by the products that you make and this is where uh, i think you 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 see the bridge coming back uh, between product and corporate yeah just one, one quick comment uh shelly is that i think the as neil talked about the scope three and that has both uh, upstream and and downstream, but the upstream is your suppliers. And so when it comes down to having the product manager and the product manager's team go forward and, and lay out a new footprint for a product, then they're going to have to pick materials and, and then i.e. suppliers. So procurement now is going to be playing a key role in really helping the company understand their whole greenhouse gas emissions mm -hmm. on scope three for both the, the, the corporate level, but even more importantly now from the product level. And so mm -hmm. the product goals are going to be based on toll, cradle to cradle, cradle yeah. to grave life cycle. 
And even if you didn't care so much about the materials that you're using, scope three is also, it's got 15 categories. And one of them is also, it is largely driven by your products and how they're used in the world, right? So if you're an oil and gas producer, then there's no real impact in extracting oil from the ground. The major impact actually comes from burning that. And scope three now plays into into that, right? Because you need to then report on that. And until now, nobody has really cared about reporting for it. But this is where product managers also the the role their role in creating products that are more energy efficient and have lower impacts in their use also becomes public information through through scope three reporting at the corporate level. So let's look at this in the lens of the new legislation that California just passed. So in October of this year, California introduced the Climate Corporate Data Accountability Act, essentially requiring businesses with over revenue of one billion to report their greenhouse gas emissions starting with scope one and two emissions in 2026 and adding scope three emissions in 2027. What is the relevance of this legislation for product managers and individual products? I'd like to start sort of comments, and I think Neil can certainly add and get more detail on it. But I think, the, to me, the significance when I saw that is that now you've got a requirement in the state of California that says to do business in my state, you have to report and meet these uh, requirements that are out there in this new uh, new act coming out of California. And I think that's impactful. But people have always said when we work internationally in, in Europe or in other places around the world or even in other states, what influence has California had in sort of laying the foundation or, or setting the stage for environmental or sustainability sort of directions by these other states or countries. And, and, and they've never ever adopted California's, you know, rules uh, by any means. But there are things like catalytic converters, you know, the zero emissions, zero vehicles, Proposition 65, which is a sort of a safe drinking water and toxic enforcement act of uh, California that was, that was done in 1986. But they all provided sort of a foundation that is now picked up by many states around the U.S. on uh, the, the power of what California does is set that vision, set that sort of leadership perspective. But then it also has an impact in leading as an example, as a benchmark for other countries to look at to tighten their own environmental or you know emissions uh, rules. So this, with greenhouse gas emissions now coming out of California, uh, I think other, other countries are going to see that, and certainly other states are, are going to see that. So I, th- I feel this, what's happening in California, we, we call it maybe the California effect, is going to have a major impact uh, across the U.S. and across the world. To add to that, I think it's not to be underestimated what 5,000 companies mean, right? That's a, that's a significant portion of the most powerful companies that operate from outside the world, but operate in California. And so whether the rest of the, the rest of the world follows or not, or the rest of the states follow or not, it doesn't matter. The fact is they will have to comply with these regulations if they do enough business in California. And I think it's also the ball is rolling now. It's rolling in Europe, it's rolling, started in California, and it is going to continue rolling. So I don't think there's anything to look back. But I think it's important to keep in mind why this is so serious. There have been scope one and two regulations that have been in place. I mean, the European carbon trading system, the ETS uh, system has been in place for more than a decade now. Right? This focused on scope one and two emissions from factories. But what we're doing right now is this is in the U.S. For the first time, you have to start reporting on this based on 2025 data, right? In 2026, but based on 2025 data. For scope three data, you need to report on this and you're one year later. You have one year more to, to start reporting on it. 
What you also need to keep in mind is that this needs to then be verified by a third party. So this is not just something that you can write yourself and, and publish like what companies have done in the past when it has been voluntary, but this will need to be certified. And there's quite some, some work that needs to happen for a third party to go in and verify and say, hey, you know, you've done this correctly. So you can't just do this any way you like. And the third is, I think, which is the most important of all of them is that this is public. This information doesn't go and sit in some uh, some drawer somewhere, right? This is public information that you will have to put into an online website that people can search and compare against your competition and against others in the industry. And why this is so serious, I think, is it takes 24 months to set something like this up for a large company. I've done this for the last 15 years, and it's not trivial to set up a reporting system for scope one, two, and three for a large organization. The second is, if you don't do this, firstly, it's a law, so there's consequences to it, and it's a 500k fine for misreporting. I think, I don't know what's the consequence of not reporting. I don't even think you can do that. But uh, misreporting is a half million dollar fine. And while that doesn't seem like a lot of money, I think, keep in mind, this goes on your public profile. So people see that you've been making a mess there. And I think, just like what the SEC did for financial reporting in the 1930s, where the whole world now moves around, you know, we've, we've, our, our business plans are catered to the kind of report that goes public. I think the same thing is going to happen based on this regulation. And for the first time, this takes into account not just what a company is doing, so how it's making stuff, but also what is the company making the product itself, which is, which is seen in a scope three impact report. And scope three, just so everyone understands, is what happens upstream. So all the raw materials that you're buying to make your product, but also how your products behave downstream, right? How your consumers use it. And there's many other things. There's 15 categories in scope three that you need to report on. But that's a very broad sense of the core business of a company and their product. And this is where finally it is important for product managers to care because this is what they control. They control that lifecycle of their product that is then translated into the scope three report of the company. So for the first time in history, I would say a product manager now needs to start caring about, about what's happening in the corporate report. And I think for the first time, people will start looking at the product manager to say, hey, you know, what's happening here and how do you make this better? Because um, we see how the others are doing too, right, in competition. And I think this is this principle I like to get people to think about, right? If you were to live in a house made of glass, you behave very differently in what you do and how you react. Just put yourself in that in those shoes and see you would think and act and behave very differently than what we do normally. And that's what this regulation is doing for, for product managers and for companies now. They're putting principally everyone into this glass house. Continue down that line and just finish on what you know what product managers can do and what steps they might take to anticipate this growing focus on scope three emissions and how they need to care or align with corporate reporting that mm -hmm. we're seeing here. Maybe I'll take, I'll go first here, right? So the, I think scope one and two will be covered by sustainability teams, investor relations teams within companies. This has been going on for, I think the GHE protocol started with a scope one and two standard in 2001, so almost 22 years now. There's not a lot of chaos, I would say, that will ensue as a consequence of this from a perspective of scope one and two. But in terms of scope three, this is relatively new, right? This is, this was released in, the standard was released in 2001, uh, 2011. 
And not a lot of companies have done this really well because there's a lot of flexibility that is provided. And there's there's a cascade according to the standard. There's a cascade in terms of what is the level of granularity that you need to use to be able to create an adequate scope three report. The first is you need to know exactly what the product is and what the supply chain is. And it's called activity-based modeling. So really knowing what is happening in the supply chain or in the value chain of your products uh, that you're selling. The second is if you don't have this information, for example, you don't have data from suppliers about, you know, their the environment impacts of the products that you're buying, then you could use average data. This is where most of us are very familiar with because you have databases where, you know, you say, what is the climate change impact of one kilogram of steel? And so you say, hey, you know, I buy X tons of steel in a year and therefore the impact based on this average data is, you know, X, Y, Z. And then when you don't have data for this, even when there is no database that, you know, allows you to estimate what the impact of a particular raw material is, that's when you can use a spend based approach. Now, as you imagine, things become a lot fuzzy and a lot less useful as you go down this hierarchy, right? And as a product manager, the thing is your only lever for change is if you understand what's really going on in the supply chain. So I think what will need to happen is for the first time, product managers will not just have to look downstream of their product, which is how you make it and then how you sell it, but also look upstream into, into the raw material supply because that's where the impacts sit. And mapping out the supply chain and understanding how their products react downstream in the, in the, in the world that they live, you know, the use stage of this product is going to be key for them to, to improve. I think average data as well as spend-based data do not help product managers change anything. The only thing you can do is buy less and sell less, which nobody wants to do. Building on what Neil said, when I first got involved in the, the life cycle field years ago, there was some initial work going on that sort of demonstrated that during the product design and development stages, traditionally, what decisions are made, the materials are, are selected and where they get the materials and so forth, really created and were able to address 80% of the total product's life cycle cost you know, our impacts, and that's really are determined in the, the product design stage. And so that became a really powerful. And then you also looked at, you know, what is the typical time spent by the management? And as Neil said, scope one and scope two, primarily rated to the manufacturing and to the operations, uh, where, where they found that 80% of the time, the management efforts were really spent in those, the manufacturing and operations, which really only represented 20% of the value creation. And so when you look at where the opportunities are, 80% of the opportunities from a value creation standpoint, and thus, you know, where their impacts are, uh, where the opportunities to improve is upstream, uh, where you can you know, look at all the suppliers, you know, the materials, where they come from, and so forth, and then the downstream uh, aspect of it. So that became, to me, a very critical part when I kept thinking about it. And that's why I've been focusing for the last number of years on the whole stage gate process and product design and product sustainability, as opposed to the corporate uh, sustainability, because it's, it's at the product manager level. It's at the, the design development level, the stage gate process level, that the, the company can actually identify where those hotspots are both upstream and downstream, as well as in their, their own uh, uh, operation, what they can control, uh, and then I find those hotspots and then work to reduce it. So in terms of driving corporate sustainability targets or this greenhouse gas targets, uh, you need to then to be able to know what each product life cycle greenhouse gas footprint is 
and that can be then rolled up to be able to uh, meet corporate greenhouse gas goals. So I think the you know the action decisions that are done at the product lifecycle activity related to greenhouse gas measurement and reduction is really going to drive the ability of the company and a corporate goal, corporate reporting, to really meet those corporate goals that they have. A final comment, as I think about the role of the uh, product manager, and I think about the, the product goals are really going to be a major enabler to help the company conform to their total greenhouse gas corporate goals. And so the to me, the product manager is really going to serve as an enabler to manage changes throughout the satiate process to reduce greenhouse gases. And they're going to provide 80% of the data that are required based on the product impacts, both upstream and downstream. So the effort that the product managers have really contribute to 80% on average of the total impact. So I think that's going to be you know, very critical. So I really see the product manager going forward is going to be a pivotal uh, role to play to ensure the company can meet the overall greenhouse gas goals as well as greenhouse gas goals for the individual products that are going to be in, been used by the individual consumer and our customer to create a competitive advantage. So it's a, a wonderful opportunity uh, for companies who are leaders and then for others to really get on board and become more proactive in the whole sustainability in particular greenhouse gas field. So thanks and look forward to talking to you next time. Thank you, Jim and Neil. And to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Five Lives to 50. If you like what you heard or have an example of connecting product improvement to corporate reporting, please write to us and let us know. You can reach us by email at contact at fivelivesto50.com. Our next episode will be a three-part mini-series where we will take a short but deeper dive into how to successfully embed sustainability into each stage gate. See you then.